Good afternoon, and welcome to the Sitka Nature Show. This is your host, Matt. I want to thank you for joining me here in the last weekend of March 2022. We have transitioned into the light half of the year with our spring equinox this past week. It is getting into the spring season here. Not too many wildflowers out. I saw photos of uh, salmonberry blooming and have seen a number of uh, blueberry bushes blooming as well, but have yet to see my first small plant blooming. But looking forward to that in the coming days. It is also herring season here. They are getting ready to spawn. and Nice to have a little bit of sun this weekend as well after what's been a pretty great year so far. As always, I'd love to hear what you're seeing out there. Please feel free to send me an email, sitkanature at gmail.com, or get on Facebook and like the Sitka Nature page there. This past week, we passed a milestone for the show. It was the 10th anniversary of my first show, which took place on the 25th of March, 2012. I thought it would be fun to take a show to commemorate and celebrate that milestone, and I invited three of my most frequent guests, Katie LaBounty, Brooke Schaefer, and Paul Norwood, to come in and speak with me this past week. We'll go ahead and join the conversation recounting how many times each of them have been guests. Kitty, this, I guess, will be, what did I say? It'll be your 200th, 12th, no. 200th time. Uh, this, is, this is your 23rd time on the show. Wow. Uh, Old 20, reliable. 23rd time. Um, Paul and Brooke, this is your 11th time on the show. Yay. Finally beating out Jen Cedarleaf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jen has been on the show 10 times. Mostly, uh, she's she's one of my annual guests in the wintertime with Victoria Vosberg to talk about the Christmas bird count, but she's also been on a couple other times. I think when we talked about the big year stuff, because she was involved in that. And then Richard Nelson was uh, also a reliable for, for many years. He's one of the folks that encouraged me to start the show. I remember getting a ride home from a natural history seminar series from him one time when I had walked and saying, oh, I was thinking about doing this show. He goes, oh, you should definitely do it. Let me know whenever you want me to be a guest. And so he was very <laughs> generous with his time and enthusiasm that way. Over the years, I've had a total of 123 different people on the show, many of them uh, locals. I didn't count and see how many shows featured local people, but local people tend to, as you might expect, get more Repeaters. I'll talk, yes, I'll, I'll talk to them each year because they're here and it's fun to hear what's going on. And that's part of the reason that I started the show was just to talk about, you know, what folks are doing out in nature. But it's also been great to have guests that are uh, scientists doing studies and so forth coming here. Many of them have come through the Sitka Natural History Seminar Series that Kitty has been organizing for even more than 10 years. How many years has that uh, been going on? Let's see. It started when Sheldon Jackson was still in session. So, so. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 2006 7, I think, was the first year of it. And then that was the last year that SJ was open. Yeah. And then 2006 then. Yeah, 2006 wow. at Sheldon Jackson. And then from 2007 in the fall onward at the University of Alaska. And if I'm remembering correctly, there's another talk coming up soon. Yes, on Monday. Monday, so tomorrow as this airs. Oh, so Monday, yes, the, the Monday right after the Saturday this airs, there is a natural history talk. It should be hopefully crossing fingers it, on the community calendar here at Raven. I sent it out to the seminar list. If you're not on that list, there's an easy way to get on that list by going to sitkanature.org and signing up. Uh, let's see where else. I put it on Facebook. I don't know. <laughs> it sounds super interesting. It's oh, about being on the fault. Is that right? Being yes. On- it's about the Queen Charlotte Fault and its relationship with Sitka. 
um, and it's Dr. Gary Green, who's more of a marine geologist. We've had a few talks from more terrestrial-based ones, but um, Dr. Gary Green will be in town, I think, for about five days doing a variety of activities, of which I'm not sure about all of them, but I do know about the one. Um, so seminar, and it is via Zoom, so you have to register, and I put the links in a, various, a few different places. Um, I'm hoping that we can move to a, a live seminar at, at the end of April. I have another one coming up, and we'll see. I mean, live and in person. We are all alive. <laughs> We're listening on Zoom, I hope. Um, <laughs> but, yes, um, I'll just keep crossing my fingers, and we just adjust with the times. Yes, and Gary Green was actually a guest. Uh, he was a guest on show number 36 for me back in 2013, September. So it's it's been a minute, but... Uh, he was one of the folks that uh, I talked to. I wish kind of that I had tabulated. I tabulated all the guests and stuff, but I didn't tabulate topics. So I can't mm. say what most of the topics were. That would be an interesting thing, perhaps for a future uh, I nerd out on data sort of thing. Paul, but, can um, you believe that he hasn't done that? I mean, maybe it was just the messiness of the data. Like, there's too many crossover topics. I think... What? I think you did that with the seminar series. I did. That's why I, I think started. it's funny. I'm yeah. like, you didn't do that But the seminars have show? one topic, whereas sometimes that's true. the topic is, what were your adventures? Or That's true. But you could still know. categorize adventure, adventure. you know, um, marine, um, animal, plant, bird. I mean, you could, you could work it out. I would probably have a category for local natural nature enthusiast, and that would be <laughs> like all the local folks like yourselves that I talked to would go into that because we talk about whatever. Uh, but for a scientist, yeah, it would it would tend to be okay. Who's the visiting scientist? Like I spoke with Ian Houston about virology uh, last year. Who's studying? He's the one studying the yeah. vi- virus virus on the um on uh, sea cucumbers right at the moment. So it was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and hopefully he'll be back. It sounded yeah. like they wanted to continue the, doing the work here, and, and that is one of the things that I enjoy doing is following up with folks. Um, one that I'd like to follow up with is uh, somebody you introduced me to, Kitty um, Jacqueline. Colella, I think, or, or Jocelyn. Jocelyn was her name. Jocelyn, who was a student of Joe Cook's mm, um, yes. mammologist. She was working on small mammals in southeast Alaska. She subsequently uh, you know, finished her PhD and went on to a, a position somewhere. I don't remember where, but um, there was a, a kind of a flurry in the news that she described a couple of new species, um, basically their island endemic kind of species. So I'm hoping at some point to... Uh, get in touch with her and and maybe have another conversation because it was it was interesting to see folks that I've talked to then like have their work become a little more uh, widely known and and that sort of thing. I, I will say that one of the challenges I have and one of the things I really appreciate about the uh, uh, natural history seminar series is it was an easy way for people <laughs> people to be like okay I can talk to the people who are coming. That's been uh, the last couple of years has not really worked out that way. So it's a little problematic. Yeah, we haven't had quite so many of those folks. So I've uh, relied a little bit more on encore shows than I might uh, have preferred. And and locals are always fun to talk to, so I don't I don't mind doing that. But yeah, looking forward to uh, having a nice mix of of folks over the years. So yeah. What do you? What were you doing in 2012? Do you remember 10 years ago? <laughs> I remember that 2012 was the year, I don't think the winter was so snowy, but the summer never really warmed up um, because this is the year that the alpine tr- yes, uh, was, work was canceled, for example. Yes, uh, yes. My alpine season was canceled because <laughs> the snow persisted up high and we couldn't, um, it was just pushing things back too late. 
I can't remember. They may have canceled the Alpine Adventure Run. I can't remember if they canceled it or it was definitely like people were running through banks of snow on the Alpine Adventure Run, which is the end of July on Harbor Mountain. So this is like Paul's nightmare year. I know he likes the <laughs> snow to be off early and often. <laughs> he wasn't here. I, I remember it being the summer that never came and how, yeah, sad and disappointing it was. But Paul wasn't here for it. So he missed the whole the whole thing. And, and as I recall, we <laughs> Lucky had dude. like a nice fall, I think. Yeah. I can't remember at all. Um, yes. <laughs> well, one of the ways I remind myself is that I have my photo journal web blog thing going for, for a long time. And so then I see the things that come up from those years. And uh, that that helps me remember. But yeah, the years just, they tend to blend together. Sometimes there's, you remember things, but you're like, which year was that? And so it is it is interesting to kind of go back and, and consider some of those things. You know, some of the highlights, I think, I don't know if it was the first show you were on, Brooke, but it might have been one of them. Uh, your adventure and Paul's adventure uh, kayaking around Baranoff Island. Do you remember what year that was? Yeah, so, that was 2015. 2015. So a little bit after you had been going for a while. Yeah. A few years, yeah. Although closer to the beginning than, than the present at it's this amazing. point. Yeah. So it's hard to believe. So that's been seven years ago that y'all kayaked around the island in what you had a little bit of rain spit on you one day, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Too much rain. Too much <laughs> rain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we were in the tropics for that trip. We just didn't, we, we weren't expecting it. We had sun every day and fire every night and... Dream, it was dreamy. You could start a, a fire thing. with anything. Yeah. <laughs> it was all dry. If you could pick it up, you could probably start it on fire right wow. there. Wow. <laughs> that sounds glorious. Yeah. yeah it con- was. <laughs> considering this year we already have 33 inches oh, of rain, geez. which is 14 <laughs> inches above normal, uh, I wouldn't necessarily think you could do that this year. No. But yeah. was that that um, was that your first kind of big adventure or your biggest adventure to date? Or did you have other adventures before then? That was our first big kayaking trip. Um I would say that was, yeah, our first big kayaking trip. I think Glacier Bay, into Glacier Bay and back down here, I think was longer. But by then we had more experience. And it yeah. rained every day. Uh-huh. <laughs> we had the opposite More experience. typical. Yeah. <laughs> but we had done, like, we had crossed the island together. So we had done some and plenty of, like, short uh, kayaking trips and, and hikes and, you know, backpacking and camping, that kind of thing in the years before. But... The circumnavigating Baranoff Island was about almost three weeks long. And our first time, yeah, just taking everything with us. We had one drop off of food and kind of a big, expansive, long-term trip (laughs) that we did together. And it was, yeah, we got dreamy weather and um, the seas were pretty cooperative. It was um, probably my favorite trip ever. It was so much fun. Nice. You get yourself inspired to go. Maybe you could circum- circumnavigate Chichikov or something. That's um, – oh, Chichikov, that would be really interesting. I mean, Kruzov is so close. Like, that one would be really mm-hmm. nice to do. And there are folks here you could talk to who have done that. Um, and we've talked a little bit about that. That would be a relatively short one. I think it's only yeah. 100 miles to circumnavigate right. it. Chichikov would be huge. Chichikov would be. And, and some of it would be really boring. And some of it would have some gnarly currents sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I suppose, up, I suppose up north. Uh, the big convergence point was where I remember really getting my butt kicked in a boat. <laughs> Are you, Are you talking, talking about Elfin Cove? No, actually, um, where Chatham comes into Icy Strait and Lynn Canal. Oh, yeah. Woo-hoo. I've seen the ferry lean over. Oh, gosh. I've <laughs> experienced, I should say, the ferry just turning into Chatham, and then it was like 
Oh, yeah. Hang on to your stuff. <laughs> yes. Wow. I, I hung on to stuff for quite some time and just laid on the floor trying to hold the bookcase in the in the boat um, from pulling out of the wall. It was super fun. <laughs> I don't know if I want to kayak that, that game. Well, it, you, I think you just have to be smarter about the currents and the weather than we were. Okay. <laughs> Which is not a – it's not a high bar. <laughs> When you, I guess I don't know this about kayaking, but I imagine if you get closer to shore, the currents are sometimes at least not as strong. Can you get out of sort of the worst of them? Sometimes can, there's eddies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can actually move ahead. Mm. We but, did a lot of that on that trip, actually, yeah. in 2015. Nice. There's so much strong current, you know, Surgis Narrows for one, Peril right. Straits, and you end up, you know, you have a current going against you. And then if you go close to the shore, you can get this eddy that will take you against oh, the, nice. the main current. So you can make some But progress. it's a secret. Don't tell anyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just just the four of us. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's it. Well, I, you know, as we've been talking here, I remember that uh, I was thinking, well, 2015 is when Paul did his first big year project and started. And that actually, uh, I was re- got me into iNaturalist because I saw how well it was working for Paul, but it reminded me of 2012, something else that actually has had ripple effects down. I In 2012, that was my second attempt sort of at doing a thousand year uh, species, a thousand species project for a year. Um, but it was also the year of the BioBlitz that we had here yes. in Sitka. So uh, I was reminded of that because I was looking through some old observations of liverworts and and I was like, oh, yeah, this was one that I got on Bear Mountain and gave to David Wagner, who mm-hmm. identified it. Um, it's apparently kind of an unusual species. And I realized that, that that event, the fact that I was doing kind of that that thousand species year, which I didn't end up getting quite to a thousand species that year. Uh, and we did the bio blitz. I remember talking with you, Kitty, about it and being like, you know, it'd be a lot more fun to do this over a longer period of time. So because we had experts come in. And it would be nice to be able to actually do the things with the experts uh, and and learn from them. Whereas when it's a bio blitz, you can't do everything all at once. And so that kind of was the genesis of the all species community big year thing, which featured prominently on this show in 2017 and has been talked about at times since. Um, so those were sort of some of the initial stepping stones. And then Paul's 2015 uh, thousand species project year. And do you, what do you remember of that, Paul? Oh man. Um I mean uh I remember starting out and everything was fair game. That was kind of fun. It's still fun. That's the main thing. And um I remember seeing him in um places like what would that be? <laughs> Gut Bay and we've been kayaking for two weeks or whatever it was, a week and he pulls out from his uh dry sack, you know four different keys on how to look at plants <laughs> and we're hiking to the back of Gut yeah. Bay and he's just like stopping on a sunny day, which was really nice. And, and that is nice. Keying things out with his little ruler and trying to figure out what plants were. So he did it. He was very diligent and, you know, did it everywhere. This, the, it was an, a, a good time to be going elsewhere around Baranoff Island. It's true. And, um, yeah, keys and guidebooks and, uh, trying to figure out what's new and it's um it's a lot easier with other people it's really hard by yourself starting and figuring out what is what um it's so much faster if someone else walks you through it and tells Mm -hmm. you well this is how they differ because in the book it's really hard to know 
I think a lot of what it is, is it's really hard to figure out, okay, I can read the technical description and I understand the technical descriptions, but sometimes you're like, what do they actually mean by those words? You know, I can see it and it's like, how much is too different? You know, it's like, is, is, and I'll use the most obscure language I can think of. The trigomes are, are, are bulging or not. And you're like, well, is that bulging enough? Is that, you know, so some of Those that's trigons. kind of helps. Yeah, I know. Yes. I mean, sometimes they're definitely bulging. Usually they're not. <laughs> I was going to go back to that bio blitz. And one of the things that was cool about it was that I think that's really where we got connected to Gwyn Bayless, who came the years after that to mm. do bird banding with us. Um, and I know she's been a guest on the show yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. I've spoken to her many of the years that she came. I spoke to her while she was here. And that project, well, we had 10 solid years of banding birds. Yeah. The last couple of years hasn't been banded, but hasn't been banding. I'm not sure if there's, uh, I'm not sure. I, I feel like sort of the initial questions that I had in starting out have largely been answered. And, you know, we could, over time, you know, you can have more data uh, uh, creep in. And it was a nice community engagement project. But, I don't know if that'll continue or not, but we still have a couple of, I've seen in the last month, a couple of different banded mm-hmm. juncos at my house, one of which was banded three years ago, and I think the other one banded two years ago. Uh, we did have one that returned, I think the the longest return date that we had was six years. There was one that had been banded early on that came back six years later. Yeah. So that's been a fun project, yeah. Yeah, I think I might have a seven, but I'm not absolutely sure. And the furthest so far that a band has showed up has been in Juno, which mm. is kind of fun, too. That's cool. So I think that's part of the reason maybe to continue it, but we'll see how that goes, is because the more banded birds you've got out there, um, the more chance you have of, of picking them up in interesting places. Yeah. One of the questions that I had was like, we have these juncos all over in the in the wintertime. Oh, how far are they moving? Like, are they going all over town? And it turns out the answer seems to be no. Um, they mostly <laughs> stay in their neighborhoods where they were banded. That's where they tend to be reseen. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, Karen Johnson lives kind of between a couple of different banding stations and she would see bands from both, but, mm-hmm. but it was unusual. I, every once in a while, I would see something that was banded at the middle school, for example, at my house. But by and large, the birds at my house were banded in my neighborhood. Wow. Was it like a mile and a half? Was yeah, the there max? was a couple of wow. like maybe two miles. Yeah. One showed up over on Japonski Island yeah. at one point. But very little movement. It was kind of interesting. And the chickadees don't hardly move at all. Chickadees are just like, this is my spot and I'm hanging here. <laughs> when you get that feeling that like the, the whatever, we have song sparrows in our yard that they've like raising their young and then their young take over, it's probably accurate. Yeah, like to, <laughs> I think put. so. I mean, I don't. That would what that would be the next phase. I think is like, can we get multiple generations of song sparrows banded in a a, a garden or whatever? Because right. I have a song sparrow that's probably bred a number of years as well, a banded one. So it would be kind of cool to find out. So that that would be where to take it next. Right. There are definitely some questions that we could still answer, but would require a different sort of study design uh, than than the sort of intensive fall banding season. And we need a bander. Yes. So does, well. <laughs> when, Gwen has come and done multiple um, like juncos and she did hummingbirds. Is She's that right? done hummingbirds too. The Anna's hummingbirds. Um, there was another gentleman in town that did the Rufus hummingbirds and I think he was on the show as he well. He was. Fred Bassett. Yes. yes. Um, I spoke with him and yeah, he came and, and targeted it. Gwen would band anything that she caught. But the color banding project focused on song sparrows, chickadees, and dark-eyed juncos. Well, that's what, and that's what was licensed. 
Yeah, for the for the color bands, you have yeah. to you have to submit a, a project if you're going to do that kind of thing to the bird banding laboratory, and so they they want to keep track of that. Um, but the song sparrows, some of them do migrate. Um, we have we had um, so that was a question as well. Do all of our wintering song sparrows go north in the summer, or do are some resident year round? And it was definitely the case. We had some that uh, were nesting here that had been banded, and others that disappeared in April and came back at the end of August, and so presumably went north. Uh, the other question is, do some of our summer song sparrows go south for the winter? And mm-hmm. I don't know. We'd need to band in the summer to to get a better chance at answering that, presumably. But it would be interesting, like, how far are the young dispersing? Song sparrows, when they have a territory, do seem to stay there all winter. Um, there was some movement. Uh, Karen Johnson had a song sparrow show up in her yard that had been banded at the middle school. So I think young birds don't always have territories and they'll move around a bit. But once they sort of establish their territory, they seem to seem to, to stay know. there. Yeah, because the one that nested in my neighbor's yard was banded in my yard. So it was, you know, it didn't move far between the seasons. So well, I guess this is maybe a question no one here can answer, but I'll throw it out anyway. Do we know how long they live, song sparrows? Because it seems like... I think the only way you know is if you have a banded one and you kind of have a guess at least, well, it was alive this year and it probably wasn't a a new bird, but I I don't know. I think a handful of years is kind of the the expected lifespan, three to four years kind of thing. Because the behavior I've observed is that they seem to have have some nestlings and then they take a tour of the yard is what it looks like. Like Mm -hmm. Their parents are showing (laughs) their babies like their way around. And then I realize at some point the parents have to die and I wonder if the... If they're young, take over. Anyway, these are all just... That would be fun. I, I like this this study plan. Right? <laughs> we should come up with it, or study idea. Yeah. Well, Marge Ward used to tell me that she thought the juncos were doing that as well. She would see, she'd say, even in the summer when they don't have feeders, the juncos would seem to go to places where the feeders were in the winter. Uh, and it was like they were showing their young. And I think Karen Johnson mentioned seeing uh, a banded junco that seemed to, like, it just came into the yard for a little while with young, and then they left again. And so it's almost like, yeah, maybe it was showing showing them the haunts. And and that's another question is, like, how many of our, one of the things that I, I still don't know is is how many of our, our juncos that are wintering here are also nesting in the area because right. they, they, they go all the in way the up alpine. to the alpine yeah, yeah. and yeah. the forest. So I haven't seen any banded juncos. We know some are, are going further. We got the Certainly one, look. Juno, yeah. <laughs> um, and slate-colored juncos come in here and they aren't nesting here. So there are definitely some that are coming in from, from further away, but we don't really know. Yeah. So it would be interesting, but it's a very different prospect to band nesting juncos because they're now they're dispersed. In the wintertime, they're all coming to your yard, so it's easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You have to target specific nesting pairs, I think, to, to start uh, doing some banding in the summer. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. so I'm going to go back to the BioBlitz again, if that's okay. Sure. Um, another person at that BioBlitz was Steve Trudell. Mm. Um, and so I knew, he's a mycologist, and so I know he was on the show and also several other mycologists. So I'm taking it closer. Well, actually, it's not any closer <laughs> towards my, my plant kingdom. Um, off right. to fungi. It's like, eh, no, actually, I still haven't gotten there yet. But I was like, we've had a number of mycologists. Um, and I kind of feel like Steve was like the start of that um, in terms of visitors um, that we've gotten 
Yeah, I don't remember if I actually ended up speaking with Steve, but I've certainly spoke with Noah Siegel and mm-hmm. um, Ron Hamill. Kate. And Kate Mohat. Yeah, yeah, several mycologists that I've had a chance to speak to. And we've often spoke, you and I, in the uh, if, you'll, if you're willing to wear a mycologist hat for a moment. Why then, not? <laughs> um, we've often spoken in the fall about mushrooms because you run your mushroom workshop and have for a few years uh, now. Um <laughs> I, I don't, it's like, whatever. The first time I taught that class was 1985. 1985, so it's been a minute. <laughs> it's yeah. been a minute. It was like my very first um, fall up here wow. um, after grad school. And I was like, I'm going to do this. I don't have a job right now. <laughs> wow. I'm going to try and carve my little niche. And I um, made my little poster with... In, the, in those days, you like glued things on and used white out to hide the edges <laughs> and, and photocopy. Yeah, exactly. It was pretty fun. Great. So <laughs> yes, going back even further in time than the than the two thousand twelve. Yeah, we can go back yeah. to two thousand and twelve <laughs> and forward. That's fine. But it was kind of funny to me. <laughs> yeah. No. It is. It, it is interesting the way that these things. You know, you get started and and sometimes events. I mean, the two thousand twelve. You helped that biobus. You helped organize that, and it sounded like it was a little bit of a lift to to get kind of everybody kind of going. And and Juno had had one a couple of years right. uh, prior, and they inspired it. Yeah, I thought I thought the idea was that it would move around southeast, but I think that the Sitka one was the last one I that happened. Fish, fish and Wildlife Service and Fish and Game were kind of co-sponsors of it. Um, and I think as budgets changed and all that, it just wasn't as much of a priority. I think they still do something with um, like one of the grade schools mm. in Juneau or have, you know, since then. Um, but I don't think they do a big community one. There is, um, speaking of bioblitzes, there is something potentially being planned statewide for a plant bioblitz, which I will share more about when I know more about it. Cool. Well, that sounds sounds good. I Like I say, I, I kind of like the longer-term things, which, which the 2017 was our all-species community big year. And I think, Brooke, you even, that was when you started, started iNaturalist. What do yeah. you remember of, of the of the all species community big year? Um, I mean, I, I definitely was not as involved with iNaturalist as I am now. So I think, I mean, I made, I definitely joined and tried to look for things and be a part of it. Um, but I feel like if it were to happen again, I would be able to offer a little bit more, do a little bit more. Um, but it was great, you know, to see so many people like myself who go outside and are around town and everything. And now we all were like, doing this thing together. So other people who maybe hadn't been on a naturalist, like myself, you know, suddenly are like working towards the same goal. And it was great. Yeah, we, I can't remember exactly. We definitely got well over a thousand species that year. And as Paul said, it's it's more fun to do things with people. And so I, Karen, Karen Johnson, who we mentioned, she got really involved and things she's, she's gone on and, and oh my gosh. She, she started the, the, um, <laughs> Facebook page, the um, I don't. Do you remember what it's called? The is it unusual marine, un- marine creatures? Yeah, I think that's right. Unusual marine life of, of Alaska, Alaska. Yeah. something like that. Yeah, she's impressive. And then, and then, um, lately has been cooperating with foraminifera folks in Europe who have a site in New Zealand. I think. Wow. Well, there's also somebody in New Zealand, but I think the website is from yeah, Europe. That's right. Yeah. So one of the people that um, I think she was just like. Uh, teasing through muck from 
from uh, <laughs> long line, pull, so cool. clean up long line and anchors <laughs> and stuff and, and finding, finding. I think she was probably looking for other animals, but started finding these for Minifera and posting them on iNaturalist. And somebody's like, oh, well, it's this. And then I remember being, the first one coming up and it was like, what's that? Oh, that might be a for a Minifera. And like, that's the first one. Well, that turned into a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> I think the first one was like light microscopy and you can really see anything. It, maybe you could even see pseudopods. Hmm. Mm. That's cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it was um, that since then, I mean, I think I, I don't know if she has 100 species yet or not between her and the person that she sent some samples of, uh, uh, you know, it's funny that it says from anchor muck, West Crawfish. <laughs> It's <laughs> yes. basically when you pull up your anchor and I think yeah, she just there's a lot of stuff on it. A vial of, of anchor muck and uh, from from the bottom and uh, has started yeah teasing through that. So it's been interesting to see some of those things go on. You know, it is challenging. I just I just started uh, redoubling my focus. I guess I've sort of noticed as I went along liverworts and and mosses over the years and and have over the years. Uh, you know, managed to acquire a few species of those, but have tried, had decided those are the kind of the lowest hanging fruit left for me now um, in terms of species. And so I was, you know, I was talking with Kitty about this yesterday a little bit. I have, I found this little moss and it's tiny, um, you know, it's probably not even a centimeter tall and tiny little leaves. And, but it looks pretty distinctive. And I'm just like, it shouldn't be that hard, but I have no idea to even where to start. So it's like, if somebody who knew what it was would look at it and go, oh yeah, that's obviously this. And then that would be really easy. Instead, I'm like, well, what do I take pictures of here? Can I even do a <laughs> section of this leaf that's like thinner than a hair? <laughs> it must be you interesting can. for you because you are now an expert at this. And then to come across something where you have to remember what it's like to be kind of in the dark where you're like, I'm not sure how to go about doing this. Well, the thing is that there's no end of those things. Yeah. Well, I mean, there is an end, but but I'm a long way from getting there. Like for Minifera, I would have no idea where to start, uh, except for that there's a bunch of pictures now. And so I would hope that what I had was on there, but I, w- I wouldn't know. Uh, bryophytes, there's probably, um, there's somebody working on a checklist that has over 200 species of uh, liverworts for Southeast Alaska. Mosses are usually more diverse than liverworts, so yeah. there's probably five to 600 species of mosses in southeast Alaska. Lichens are even more diverse than those, so there's probably over That's a thousand species. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Well over a thousand, yeah. I'd say. Just, there's always a new genus of lichens. What mm-hmm. is this genus? <laughs> I don't even want to try this species. It just seems like there's a new genus all the time. Yep. And I it, totally agree. And it doesn't even, with lichens, there's not even families that make sense sometimes. Some some of them do, but some of them are like, or some of them are like, well, we don't know which family this is in. It's just a genus hanging out here until somebody does the work. Well, and it's just, it's a composite <laughs> organism. So it's like, how do you really come up with a sensible family yes. classification all the time? But whatever, that's a whole nother pile of worms. Um. Well, and, and lichens, <laughs> many of them are very distinctive. So it's like, yes. if you could figure out what they were once, then they're not that hard. But figuring out what they are in the first place is, is often the challenge. So there are, what's kind of fun about both bryophytes, so mosses and liverworts and lichens, is there's a pile of them in each group that are super common. They're all over the place, and you could probably easily recognize them. So not everyone who wants to look at the, the more common organisms in 
our area need to go to the extreme of like, okay, I need to get a light microscope and I need to get a dissecting scope and I need to pull everything apart to to actually look at. I want to encourage people to still like treasure these organisms and know that there are a pile of them you can identify. Some you might need a hand lens, but a lot of them you don't. Like you don't need to get down. This is good to hear because I'm curious yeah. as someone, I'm more in that camp. So you don't need to like to be able to rule out other things. You don't need to be able to like dissect it or do. No, I, no. I think there's actually quite a few. A hand lens can be handy, especially okay. if you're, you started teaching in 1985. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I mean, obviously I'm oversimplifying. There's plenty of things that you do need to pull apart, but there's a lot of things for people to look at and appreciate that are super common, super abundant, that you don't need all the fancy tools. So, yeah, let's make a distinction between which species, which which is the most moss around and which is the most diversity. So you probably recognize stair-step moss, you know, yes, the one that yes, comes yes. up. That one's one of the most common ones. It's all over the place. Lanky moss, Rytidia delphis laureus, is another, like, it's super abundant. <laughs> um, badge moss, uh, Rhizonium glabrescens is is pretty easy place. to recognize there's a couple <laughs> of similar species harder. yeah it's a little harder because there's a couple other similar species right and that's yeah. where the hand lens comes in handy all you have to do is look for teeth, teeth. and most of most of those are going to be that species yeah um so or not teeth sorry <laughs> so there are and that's why i say for years i've i have over 100 species of mosses and like 40 species of liverworts. And it turns out on iNaturalist, that puts me in the top 30 for like the world. (laughs) There's not a lot of people on iNaturalist doing a lot of uh, mosses and liverworts. But it is, it is the, the, the array of diversity is where things start to get difficult. So it's easy to feel, oh, yeah, I know the mosses pretty well, because 90% of what I see is one of, you know, a dozen things. Uh, And it's all the little threads and strands in the mix or, or these things that start to show up. Or I know what it is to the genus. Like sometimes this, the genus is pretty easy, but the species is, is a little more fussy. Uh, so, so those things. But it, is, it has been interesting to, to be feeling the last three days because I, I probably made a rookie mistake and be like, oh, I'll get all this stuff because I'm out. And it's easy to take pictures <laughs> in the field and collect. And then when you don't know what you're doing with it at home, you're like, well, I got to take pictures of everything because I don't know what anything is. Well, and now you know why I'm sometimes like, okay, just give me two bags yeah. <laughs> of collections. I don't want four. I don't want whatever. I want something that I can actually fit into my my schedule since I work and all that sort of stuff that that I can deal with but instead of ending up with do. this. I know, but it for me, I just have to do it because otherwise it's just a giant pile of stuff that just keeps piling up and I don't get through it. So you've done how many different I of these, these conversations over the last 10 years? How many different conversations? Yeah, so 123, was that what you said? Um, uh, in terms guests. of different conversations? Uh, yes, okay, yeah. yes. In terms of different conversations, I've had um, 215 different conversations over right. the years. Right, so... Yeah. Gosh, that that's a lot. I was yeah. just trying to like since we're we're having a little retrospective of the show. <laughs> um, are there 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 are there conversations that stand out to you that kind of open your eyes to a whole new world, to a whole new a whole way new of world. looking it, at it things? Sounds like a Disney song. I know it's a whole it's a Disney song, but you know what I mean. I'm being a little bit more. Um, 
touchy feely than you tend to be. So you can you can extract out of that as you want to. But what conversations have stood out to you over the the years? You know, I always enjoyed talking with Richard Nelson because because um, he was so enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was always fun to talk to him. I, it's been interesting to talk to people. I've talked to people. I've I, I prefer to talk to people. I've seen their talk before. So you know something about them. So I know something about them. Uh, and and I have. I'm going in, but I have gone in with just the Vegas. At times, I've gone in and talked to people that I had, I had like, oh, this is their topic. Okay, well, we'll see, <laughs> see how it goes. And it's always gone fine. Uh, the the one that I I remember working the hardest at to try and understand what I was talking about or what was being talked about <laughs> to me was with Sue Carl about oh, yeah. the geology. Turns out <laughs> pictures were really helpful, <laughs> and and the only time she had to speak was before her talk. And so I spoke with her before her talk, and then that evening went to the talk and was like, "Wow, this makes a lot more sense." <laughs> and I was I was worried that uh, that the show wouldn't make any sense because I didn't. As I think, as it worked out, I think it was maybe even better because I was working so hard to understand what right. she was saying. I yes. was like trying to describe it back to her and and sort of get that feedback. And so I think it worked out all right. But that was definitely one where it would have been nice to have seen the seen the talk beforehand. Sue is Sue Carl is a great geologist um she's you know baranoff island has been one of her specialties she's with the usgs in anchorage and i had gone on a trip to iceland with her and jim bachdahl and i thought she just explained everything so well to me in that area i like really got it i was like okay i'm getting this and then i (laughs) i really love her so (laughs) and then i listened to her talk and i was like okay i'm keeping up i'm keeping up i'm keeping up what happened here? Um, and it was, it was, she really thought she had toned it down. And we were staring at her going, uh, what? It was a really interesting story of how Baranoff Island came to be here, um, which I still think about uh, regularly in terms of the, the process that resulted in the rocks that essentially make up Baranoff Island and, and Sitka area in particular. But yeah, she was, uh, she's, very much a professional geologist and and I was actually just recently uh, doing a little observing work and uh, with a ge- geotechnical drilling and the geologist on there he, he's like I, I started talking to him and he's like oh you know Sue Carl she's amazing <laughs> like she he is was, like, amazing <laughs> super impressed with with uh, her and Jim Bachel both so that fact yeah. that you got to go to Iceland with I them got was to be your like, roommate I feel like I've touched greatness it was, <laughs> or bumped elbows with greatness probably it was, uh, pretty amazing but yeah definitely having <laughs> pictures of that would what made that easier for me to understand so I struggled a little bit in the conversation because I don't have the geology background that's been a challenge for me at times is speaking with people um, I have a very broad curiosity but a relatively narrow actual academic background in in anything other than math and statistics um so we can talk math and statistics if 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 uh, we want to get a little technical but probably nobody does including (laughs) me but um i could but when you start to get into biology or geology or you know any of these these things a lot of times i'm actually working pretty hard to understand what the words mean uh, sometimes because they're just start using the words and some folks are really much more I think they've they've spent a lot of time. Like the science center is really pretty uh, good about working with the scientists and residents, who've been another pool of, of folks that I've spoken to. Um, a number of them um, trying to help them with their science communication, uh, and science communication can be a challenge for people. But you know, some of the things like the uh, um, Rachel Lauer talking about the underwater 
the underwater plumbing essentially in the ground. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that was, I can't remember what she described herself as. It was some strange combination of hydrologist and geologist and oceanographer type person. Um, but th- there's just things like, oh, wow, I never even knew. Talking to Leslie Harris about all the different polychaetes there are. Yeah, mm-hmm. polychaetes are kind of mm-hmm. yes. crazy. There's uh, lots of different kinds of those. Um, but I even, I even like, um, you know, Zach LaPerriere and I talked recently and we were just talking about chopping wood and, and what it was. Uh, not, not me chopping wood, mind you. Um, <laughs> but Zach's experience chopping wood and the way he's gotten to know wood. And, and of course, he's a woodworker as well. And, and sort of the relationship that he, he has built over the years with, and understanding of, of wood and, and how to split wood more easily. So he's like, he sees people splitting. He's like, oh, don't do that. And, you know, because there's easier and harder ways to hmm. split wood uh, as, as folks. I don't Certainly know. Certainly tried both. <laughs> right. Well, he's, he's been splitting wood for a long time. I, don't I did know. fall in love with one of those hydraulic machines, though. That's, I was like, ooh. You don't have to look for the weak points in wood with that. You just. No, ooh. you just load it up and ooh, it, that. So I'm sorry. That was the most fun I've had. <laughs> Subs- Maybe substitute. ever in my life. Substitute horsepower for knowledge, I guess. Oh, my idea. God. Yeah. Not very expensive to rent. Either. No. No. Man, sorry. <laughs> I just want to say that one of the things I love about turning on your show Matt, um, over the years is that I don't know what to expect. Like some of the, the things that have like stood out are just random stories that I didn't expect, you know, to be listening to. Like we're talking a lot about scientists and the outdoor world. And so maybe a listener might think, yeah, they're going to get a bit of a science lecture, but you just don't know what you're going to get. Maybe you're going to get a wood splitting conversation. (laughs) And one of my one favorite ones, I have no idea what year it's from. And I don't know even who the guests were, maybe it'll strike one of you all will remember um, that I just happened to turn the show on and there was a conversation about like being on um, St. Lazaria and the tubes. Like these were people who would, two locals who just would go out for adventures and I think they went into oh, one of those tubes yeah, yeah. that you can go mm, into a little tubes. A lava tube and talk they about They were that. diving. Yeah. yeah. Free diving. Um, this, who was it? This was Henry Haygood and Andrea Pitts, yes. who don't live here anymore, but um, mm. they were here for a couple of years. I think Henry did a lot of fishing, but he really liked free diving. He liked spear fishing, and he talked. There's a pool in the middle of Lazaria, a tide and, pool. Yeah, the, well, it, it's That's connected, connected because yeah, because yes. the seals will come in there sometimes, I guess. And they went into that, and they freed. He says it's weird because you're going down, and you're like seeing the light disappear above ah, you. No. And what what he learned later is that sometimes those things flush or something, and they like they can just suck you down into. Uh, and, and but he didn't know that at the time. So he says, otherwise, he probably <laughs> wouldn't have good. done it. If I'm remembering the story correctly, but yeah, yeah, no, that was kind of crazy. Talking to my brother about. Um, his first time snorkeling that was another one he that was actually relatively early because i think he was here in 2012 yeah. uh, he was uh, spent the summer as an intern at, at sitka conservation society doing plant stuff as part of the wilderness surveys and um he had a chance to go out with um somebody from the science center whose name has fallen out of my head right at this moment but um they went snorkeling. He went snorkeling a couple of times, and once at John Brown's Beach. Speaking of which, in 2012, John Brown's Beach was still oh, accessible, right. but they closed that and uh, closed easy access to that in 2014. Uh, I think you can still kayak there, but um, he snorkeled there and off the science center. And he just his description of like we grew up here, but we never did any snorkeling, and 
And so his description of like being in the water and then feeling like you're in this all this space and then bumping your knee on the bottom because you're really only in two feet of water, you yeah. know. And so that was another thing that, that I've carried with me and I've tried snorkeling a bit myself. I discovered, I don't know, maybe I should ask the two of you, do weights make you a little less subject to the whims of the waves uh, <laughs> when, you're, when you're there? You pretty much have to have weights. <laughs> well, I haven't, I haven't snorkeled with weights yet. So, um, and so the last time I tried to go, uh, recently I went, I went out the road a little ways and the waves were, uh, it was just a little sloshy, but it wasn't bad. But I was like, I was trying to hold on to a rock and take a picture of thing. And I was just like going back and forth. I was yeah. like, well, maybe even weights would help that uh, even that little bit. Uh, I'm not trying to go deep or anything, but... Um, but, but even y- just to break the surface, the weights help for that, getting yourself so you're not like a diving duck, an unsuccessful <laughs> diving duck. <laughs> <laughs> right, I was just yeah. floating you at the surface the whole feathers. time. Without <laughs> the weights, you might as well just have a tube with a glass at the end. Yeah. I mean, like... <laughs> yeah, I like it was... It. Uh, I, I was trying <laughs> to reach, reach down as far as I could reach to take a picture of something, you know, but even yeah. then I was like getting sloshed around, so... Yeah, I need to need to get some. It's weights. more fun once you're underneath, and when you get down deep enough that you equalize with the pressure, hmm. uh, then you're no longer sinking, or you're not not yet sinking, and you're no no longer floating. That's really nice. Mm. Just because you, you and have you all been um, snorkeling lately? Or? Only once so this far winter, this year. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah, much. not much. No, not lately so much. Only once this winter. It was really good though. Oh, it's nice. Was it even this winter? It might have been at Christmas. I think we went snorkeling on Christmas. So last something like yeah. that. That's winter, right? That is winter. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. I was thinking of the year. Well, yeah. I was noticing the tides were this week actually, this past week the tides have been pretty low in the middle of the day it's just been so gray like if it had been sunny and and not like blowing 40 then i might have been tempted to try and get out in the water again but it is uh i I suppose the it's the time when the plankton is starting to Mm. to bloom again and actually that's another just talking to some of the plankton people uh katie birch from homer and um folks from the sea tour the the laboratory here um uh, esther kennedy Mm -hmm. and um josh is it Josh? Oh, Josh, who's in Juno. In who's Juno at the, and yeah. Chris Whitehead. His name fell out of my head, sorry. Yeah, so so several of them over the years. So you've had, okay, and I'm going to get the numbers wrong, 215 conversations. 215 conversations. With 123 people. 123 different people. So, correct, yeah. Some can, are repeats. Some are repeats. So can people listen to the archives? And if they're interested... How do they find these shows? Do they have to like dig through Facebook and see where you've posted them? Or is there a a spot on your website where people can go and like, oh, I'm interested in yada yada, and I can look there? Yes, all but two shows are in the archive. There were two shows in the beginning. Uh, I would, I, I was, as I said, on Sunday evening potluck for the first year or so until they moved me to the Sunday afternoon time where I've been since then. Um, and I would go in and I would do the show live. Even if I recorded a conversation ahead of time, I'd have right. clips from the conversation and so forth. So the only recordings I got of those were their automatic, automated recording. And there was a couple of times when there were not, when that wasn't functional. But other than that, you can go to my website. Which is? 
sitkanature.org slash raven. And what do they look for on your website? There's a lot of stuff on your website, dude. Sitkanature.org slash raven gets you directly to the archive <laughs> oh, page. But what if you don't remember that? So you go to, sorry, I'm being a pill. Um, you go to sitkanature.org and it can sit, you just like scroll at down? Top, at the top, it says radio show on the menu. Excellent. And if you click on radio show, you get you get to the, to the full archive here. Uh, for folks that are interested in knowing what they're going to be listening to and, and aren't uh, so inclined. Unfortunately, there is no you know show notes or anything oh, there's like that. There's not an index that says this uh, is the or the guest or anything. Oh, the the guest is listed, okay. and that's all. So, like for example, in 2018, on the 22nd of uh, July, that was show number 162 with Brooke Schaefer and Paul Norwood. And then on when I click through to that, I usually put just a real brief note about what we talked about. Uh, we visited about some of their recent travels, including trips to Ketchikan and Yakutat and a three-week kayaking adventure from Glacier Bay back to Sitka. So that's what... Ooh, so you do get a little synopsis. People mm-hmm. could click in But they in have and, to click through. Yeah, and, yeah, okay. a little bit. So, okay. so your next thing could be like a cloud that's like, okay, if you're interested in geology talks, here's <laughs> someone's... Here, sorry, I need, I need such a pest. You, you, um. <laughs> you, you can be a super fan and you can uh, you can compile that for But me. I don't know how to do that. So <laughs> you'll have to, you have to teach me how to do it first and I can do it because that would be really cool because yeah yeah, it's like oh i want to review these these talks um or this topic or you know what people have shared about this i think that would be really handy and it's kind of cool you can still get encounters.org speaking of Mm -hmm. um richard nelson um and you can go through and go oh here's on seals or here's on whatever you know yeah yeah Yeah, and that's Um, nice because his are all well, and they're not all just his. I mean, there's a few other people right, that right. were involved as well, they're but they're topic, topical based. Yeah, which whereas, is kind of fun. Yeah, and, and as Brooke pointed out, you know, um, it's a little random. And and right. frankly, when I come in, that's how it is. I don't. I tell people I'm said I'm not an interviewer. Mm. Uh, don't don't because I've had people say, "Well, can I get the questions from you in advance?" I'm like, "There aren't any. I, I don't know." <laughs> um, I'm happy to talk about whatever you want to talk about. I always tell people if you end up saying something that you don't want to have on the air, then then uh, just let me know. I'll edit it out. It's not, I'm just, we're just looking to have a conversation right. here. Uh, so it is, it has been a, an interesting thing. I enjoy talking to people. And so it's just come in and, and we'll have, have a conversation about stuff that's, that's of interest. And I often have an idea of things that I want to talk about. I'll ask people, certainly if there's people that are in town as a scientist in residence fellow, I spoke with Courtney Hart recently. And so it's like, well, I'll talk about your research. I'm happy to do that. But then we also talked about just experience. She talked about this, um, uh, the uh, king crabs, I guess, sometimes really get into this mass. And, and when she's been diving near Juno, it's just like this mass of hmm. king crabs oh. on the bottom. I ended up talking to somebody else uh, who said, oh, yeah, I caught part of that show. He says, yeah, I've seen that. Hmm. Uh, and I was like, it sounds terrifying. Yeah. Can you imagine <laughs> being in the water with like hundreds of king crabs just all like, and you're like, if they get you, they're just going <laughs> to Do they do that often? No. <laughs> I, I have no Maybe idea. Maybe not when you're alive. Um. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. It just seems like it, it could be like nightmare it, fuel. But for I think even things. people knowing that there's more in there, there's some people that, you know, Jim Bagel will primarily talk to you about geology. Right. If you, you recognize know, the name, yeah. But if you don't recognize the name, you're kind of like, whoa, do I go through 215 conversations so i'm encouraging you oh fan i'm a fan (laughs) um and i'm also an educator right so i'm always like trying to (laughs) um link students into other sources of information other than just me yammering at them 
Um, so we could have a different person yammering at them. But, <laughs> but the mix of stories and um, information is really enjoyable. So accessible it would be, too. yeah, it's accessible. So it would be really cool to have that um, as, as a legacy, as a, a piece of your show, which has been really phenomenal. So thank you for putting the time into it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and to be clear, there's 215 conversations. This is the 259th show. Um, oh. So there have been uh, oh some repeats. Like yeah, I, I, yeah, the encore right. ones. The, right. Where I do the beginning and the end new, but the conversation's the same. Uh, there's been I think the last live show I did was with Kitty and Richard Nelson, and that was for oh, my hundredth yeah. show. Right. And I had I had oh. been hoping to do one for my two hundredth show, uh, but Richard passed away the fall before. So I think my two hundredth show was actually just kind of a, a it was a, a clips from different conversations mm-hmm. I'd had with with Richard, but. Um, I guess I do about 26 shows a year. So another couple of years here, year and a half, I'll be at show number 300 if I if right. I keep well, it up. <laughs> that's super impressive, though. I want to just circle back to the fact that you have almost, that's almost um, 215 unique conversations. Unique conversations, mm-hmm. yeah. And, or, no, it is 215 yeah. unique, unique but conversation. then 259 shows. This is the 259th show, yeah. What is yes. the most obscure That's fact impressive. that has ever come up on your show? The <laughs> most obscure fact that has ever Something come up? Something that you just thought, oh my God, like who found that out? I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know because I don't really think about things like that. I, I I tend to have those kind of facts in my head, but I think about oh well, they're not really all that. You unusual. could extend it maybe to the oddest, you know, little sidebar, or, you know, oddest little fact or oddest little thing that you had never yeah. thought about until someone mentioned it. I I suspect. Stumping I in. mean, a show that's coming to mind, and I don't remember all the details of, but it got a little interesting and, and sort of like weird to think about ways is um, the sensory organs of whales with Hans Tavison. Oh, yeah. And he researches the sensory or- sense organs of whales and the evolution of whales. So we talked about how whales uh, came to be, essentially, wow. and their, uh, the evolution of their sense organs. And we were just yeah discussing like, okay, because they're trying to understand what the organs are doing inside of whales and how they're sensing the world as a result. And and whales have some different sensory organs than we do. I don't, like I said, I don't remember all the details, but there was definitely some, some stuff there. Uh, Leslie Harris had, polychaetes are just weird and diverse. <laughs> I mean, like there's a lot of different polychaetes and they do a lot of different things. So I'm sure that there was some stuff that came up there that was like, oh. Can you give folks an example of a polychaete who might not yeah, know pile what worms. a if, if you've is. seen those big like meter long, uh, three foot long worms swimming in the, in the harbor in the sometimes, yeah. those, that's where they tend to get the most uh, people like, what is, Ooh, what is this nightmare sleep. fuel, you know? <laughs> How about those uh, calcareous tube worms? Yeah, right, the tube worms are, are, much, are much nicer, uh, prettier. Uh, <laughs> they're not nicer. They're prettier. Prettier. <laughs> well, Aesthetically when, pleasing. W- when they're not on your boat, let's put it that they're way. They're not nice there at all. No, not <laughs> When they're on the rocks and the tide pools and you see that feather duster worms oh, are, so are... I was kind yes. of blown away by how um, the former emperor of Japan who... Um, you know, took part in huge war crimes and everything in his retirement, studied polychaetes, published papers. And I wonder if anybody, like, dared, you know, tell him he was wrong. I mean, this may be the most obscure fact that I've I've had on the show. I I suspect maybe, I'm sure they did. I mean, in in the scientific community, nobody cares he's the emperor. If you publish his paper, it's like, whatever, dude. (laughs) We don't agree with you. You're crazy. (laughs) I don't know. 
Do you think he has that much international or had that much international respect um, that no one would question his taxonomic? In Japan. It, right. In but Japan. I mean, this would be outside of Japan that people yeah. would like go, yes, mm-hmm. I agree with you. Eh, maybe I don't. Because taxonomists are a... They're a pretty rigid Ooh, bunch. And they're feisty. They yes. do not hesitate to tell you that you are full of it. <laughs> so is that going to be our next uh, streaming streaming uh, taxonomy wars or, uh, you know, the next drama? Uh, on yeah. Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That yeah. W- I'm sure that would be really, <laughs> so, really riveting. <laughs> somebody, somebody could probably gussy it up. But that actually reminds me, another uh, just strange, bizarre thing are all the ways that parasites do their things. So talking to John Chapman about the... Um, about the parasitic isopod that is getting into the ghost shrimp here and the way that that's sort of happening and the ghost shrimp are, are like being extirpated from, from bays and He's places. He's a good speaker. Yeah. So it was interesting to talk to him. He had a lot of enthusiasm. Um, you, you know, and I hesitate to use the word enthusiasm because it was also like a lot of it was depressing, but it was it was really fascinating. Was it um, the most emotional show you've ever had? What is the, well, I, I, uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I it got pretty sad at one point. I don't. I don't remember ever having tears come up for myself. But, uh, but I would I be know, very could, surprised. Maybe if you had like a six-year-old girl sing no, I think so I brilliantly, would, then he would cry. I'm, I'm willing to bet the that most emotional, or the most emotional um, show you've ever had was probably you, Matt, with Paul. Like you are such emotional fellows. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Because there's also nails. I mean, come on. You can't. Hmm? Maybe we'll just put him in a separate category, other than nails. What's the most emotional thing that's ever been said on your show? Well, actually, the most emotional one probably was uh, now that you mentioned it. It was the it was the two hundredth show that I did, or no, it was maybe oh. it was either that one or the I I also put together one because there was kind of a memorial weekend that right. was supposed to be for him. So I put together a show that time where I I actually because it was in the middle of it was at the beginning of COVID actually. Right. And the studio was closed down, so I, I recorded it sitting out on the beach at Sandy Beach, nice. and you know, so it was more like a, I, I don't generally do that. I have recorded a few things with people outside during the COVID times, but um, but mostly I just do studio stuff. Uh, so that one, but no, I remember actually. I think I ended the the two hundredth show. It was in December, and um, with a with a, a brief clip where he was talking about coming back from. Um, you know, he's like. I think it was a. I'd talked to him, and it was a late fall conversation, and he was talking about coming back from cruise off, um, you know, and he's and it's uh, with the f- clear skies and the full moon, you know, coming back, and he's like, "There's just no place I'd rather be." So, hmm. so that was probably the most uh, emotional uh, moment, I suppose, for me at least uh, in the show. But mostly, yeah, it's just like I'm engaged more intellectually, I suppose, than emotionally, um, because of how I am. So. Well, I appreciate you all coming in and helping to reminisce and and uh, reflect on on the ten <laughs> Give years you more of, work <laughs> ten years of of uh, this this radio show, and it is it has been interesting to over the years. You know, people will stop and say, "Oh, I like your show," because I have no idea. You know, it just goes out there. Each of you have done radio shows, and it's probably the same way. You're like, sometimes you hear from people that they like the show, and but you know, is it five people listening or five hundred or five thousand? No idea, or nobody, <laughs> or nobody, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I figure it's somebody because every once in a while somebody mentions. Um, but it is interesting. I, I've heard from a number of guests over the years that, oh, I, I heard from a bunch of people that they heard me. So I'm like, well, that's uh, – and I'm sure what it is is that you hear somebody that you know on the radio that you're not used to hearing on the radio. And so then you say something to them. But if you don't if you don't know or, or they're on the radio all the time, then you don't necessarily say as much. So it's been, it's been great. I appreciate you all's willingness to come in today and, and many other times over the years and look forward to – 
continuing conversations into the future. So yeah. thank you. Thank you. Thanks. You've been listening to a conversation I recorded this past week with Kitty Labounty, Brooke Schaefer, and Paul Norwood. I want to thank them for taking some time out of their week to come and talk with me and celebrate a little bit the 10 years of this radio show. And thank you for joining me here this week and all the weeks prior. It's been great to be part of the Raven Radio lineup. I've appreciated hearing from listeners over the years and look forward to continuing into the future. As always, I'd love to hear what you're seeing out there, especially in this transition to spring. Please feel free to send me an email, sitkanature at gmail.com, or get on Facebook and like the Sitka Nature page there. You can find archives of past shows at sitkanature.org slash raven. Until next time, this has been Matt on the Sitka Nature Show, KCAW Sitka.